I don't know if all of you are aware of this, but we have a Cub Scout pack meeting at our church. It's not a brand new group, but they had struggled to find a reliable place to meet since COVID. One of the leaders gave blood at our last Red Cross blood drive. Coincidentally, the next one is tomorrow. In conversation in the snack room afterward, he mentioned that they were looking for a place to meet. After discussion among church leaders and with approval from the leadership council, they began meeting at our church in early September. It's a family pack, meaning both boys and girls are welcome. We're happy to be their hosts and excited to plan some events to support them, including a Scout Sunday in early 2024. Many of you grew up in scouting and know the impact it can make on the development of children and adolescents. And those of you who are scouts probably remember the scout motto, be prepared. The Boy Scouts, now the BSA, have been using the motto, be prepared, since 1908, when Lieutenant General Robert Baden-Powell first included it in the book, Scouting for Boys, outlining many of the practices and traditions that scouts still follow today. The idea behind the motto is that scouts should always be ready, in body and mind, to do their duty. Actions to be prepared included disciplining yourself to obey orders, thinking through situations in advance to plan how to handle them, and ensuring that your body is strong and active. The motto, Be Prepared, has been adopted by many other organizations, including the Girl Scouts and the United States Coast Guard, whose motto is Semper Paratus, meaning always ready. Get prepared, stay prepared, and wait for what's coming next. The Bible is full of stories of people waiting for something to come. Noah and his family waited while floodwaters raged around them to return to dry land. The people of Egypt and Joseph's family waited for the famine to end and prosperity to return. The Israelites waited to be freed from slavery. Job waited for his suffering to end. God's people waited thousands of years for the arrival of the promised Messiah. Paul waited to be released from prison. And since the resurrection, Christians have been waiting for the end of the age and the coming kingdom of God that Jesus promised during his ministry on earth. Waiting is a part of a faithful life, and God works in our lives when we wait. But as we see in the parable that Nancy read for us this morning, waiting is not just a period of idle inactivity. It's an active state of getting prepared for what's to come. The parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaids is part of a section of Matthew's Gospel known as the Judgment Discourse, which appears just before the story of Jesus' passion and includes seven, seven different parables about the kingdom of heaven. And its key theme is about being prepared. In the early years after the resurrection, Christianity was a movement within Judaism rather than a separate religion. One of the key beliefs of early Christianity was, a, was in the parousia, a Greek word that often gets translated as the second coming. Followers of this new movement believed that Christ would come back someday and that the second coming would usher in a new age that they referred to as the kingdom of God. 
In the early years after the resurrection, most followers believed that the second coming would happen soon. After all, Jesus told them in Matthew 16 that there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. They believed Jesus would come back in their lifetime, that the present sinful age would end, and that the kingdom of God would begin. These followers of the New Christian Movement shared the stories of Jesus' life and ministry, mostly by word of mouth, through stories passed from person to person and group to group. It was not until many of the original witnesses to the crucifixion and resurrection began to die off, some of natural causes, others executed for spreading Christianity, that it became important to write down the narratives of Jesus' life and ministry, his parables and miracles, his death and resurrection, to preserve the stories for future generations. Matthew's Gospel, which we read today, is believed to have been written around 85 CE, more than 50 years after Christ's death and resurrection. At that time, some of the followers of this new Jesus movement may have begun to feel discouraged. They had been spreading the good news with energy and enthusiasm, believing that their Messiah would be back to reward them soon. But as years and years passed, they may have begun to wonder if they were wasting their time. <clears throat> the second coming of Jesus has been a prominent theme of Christianity for centuries, and is especially so in fundamentalist circles today. The idea is that Jesus is coming back someday to judge those who are sinners and reward those who have lived faithful lives. But what do biblical scholars believe about the second coming? Would it surprise you that many prominent theologians don't actually believe Jesus told his followers that he would return at a separate second coming? Jesus spoke eloquently in many different ways about the kingdom of God. During his public ministry, before his death and resurrection, he mentioned coming back, perhaps referring to the resurrection, or the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, or the coming of a new age free of the trappings of the temple and sacrifices and ritual cleanliness rules. But the scriptural interpretations that predicted Jesus himself would come back to earth at some distant time in the future to usher into the new, in the new age were likely added to the Bible after Jesus' death, either by the authors of the Gospels or by later translators who added their own interpretations to the passages they were translating. With this in mind, I admit that I struggle a little with the idea of a literal second coming of Christ in some time in the future. I believe that God is active in our lives and in our world, but I don't know if that means a literal second coming of Jesus is in our future. I suspect I'm not the only one who's not sure what to make of second coming predictions. I also admit that the uncertainty of questioning a belief that is so dearly held by many others is scary in itself. What I do know is that God has plans for God's world and that God's plans happen in God's way and in God's timing not always in ways or on timelines that we understand. And so we wait for God's plans to unfold. No matter what you believe about the second coming, this story has a powerful message to share with all of us about the importance of being prepared while we wait, 
especially in the midst of the frightening and confusing events around us. And the story gives us a clear idea of how to be prepared by living our lives in the ways Jesus modeled for us. Whether you believe Jesus is already back among us, whether you believe the second coming is a story created by the gospel writers, or whether you believe it's an event scheduled for next year, that is one prediction, or far, far in the future, your actions as followers of Christ should be the same. We are all instructed to live our lives as if we are already living in the perfect kingdom of God, to follow the great commandments, to love God with all our heart and soul and strength and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Being prepared does not mean quitting the work of the church to sit around and watch for Jesus. It means taking up the work that Jesus showed and taught us with even more urgency. Our call as faithful disciples is to do the work of feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, and welcoming the stranger so that we are prepared for the kingdom of God however and whenever it comes. With that in mind, let's look again at the story of the ten bridesmaids. This story may have had roots in a parable actually told by Jesus during his ministry, but it's likely that Matthew expanded and embellished the original story to make a theological point. It's a story of a wedding, or rather the anticipation of a wedding. A group of ten bridesmaids went out to meet the bridegroom for his wedding. Based on outward appearances, these bridesmaids were all the same. Presumably, all of them were dressed up, excited about the wedding, carrying lamps to light the way, and ready to be part of the procession from the bride's parents' house to the groom's house. And yet there was a difference. All ten bridesmaids came prepared for the wedding to happen immediately, but only five of the bridesmaids came prepared to wait. To stay prepared, in case the wedding was delayed, these five bridesmaids brought extra oil for their lamps. The other five did not bring any extra oil. All ten of them waited, excited and anxious for the procession to begin. But the bridegroom did not come. They continued waiting, perhaps getting a little fidgety and a little anxious, but he still did not come. Overcome with exhaustion, they all fell asleep until they were awakened with, by a shout, letting them know the bridegroom had arrived and it was time to start the procession to the wedding banquet. The bridesmaids who were prepared added more oil to their lamps, but the unprepared ones watched their lights flicker and start to go out. They asked the other bridesmaids to share their oil, but were told there was not enough for everyone and that they would need to go buy more. While they were off shopping, the bridegroom led the five bridesmaids with their brightly glowing lamps into the wedding banquet and closed the door. When the other bridesmaids came back, they found the door closed. They knocked, but the bridegroom responded that he did not know them. And so those who were prepared for the delay got to enjoy the wedding, and those who were unprepared were left out in the cold. Like many of you, I love weddings. I've gotten to officiate at weddings of all sizes during my ministry, from one with just four people under a tree in a park, to one in a jam-packed and poorly air-conditioned church in late August. 
When I was a child, I remember waking up really, really early to watch the wedding of Prince Charles and Princess Diana. Weddings are special, memorable events, meant to be shared with the people who are most important to the couple getting married. But this is not really a story about a wedding. The details of the wedding in this story do not match the wedding customs of Matthew, during Matthew's time. Bridesmaids did not typically wait for the bridegroom to arrive. They met the couple at the bride's family's home and accompanied them to the wedding. The bride is not mentioned at all in this story. It's not clear why the bridegroom didn't arrive until midnight or why the shops would have been open to buy oil at that late hour. Taken as a tale of a wedding that started late, the details of this story don't make sense. The story of the ten bridesmaids is better understood as an allegory, a seemingly simple story that's contrived to convey a theological point. The bridegroom is Jesus. The bridesmaids are the church, made up of a combination of faithful and unfaithful people. The arrival of the bridegroom signaled the coming of Jesus, or God's action in the world. The delay in the bridegroom's arrival is meant to reflect the delay in the expected coming of Jesus that the Christians of first century Jerusalem were experiencing. Having oil represented being prepared. And the key message of the story was to be prepared for God's action in the world and to stay prepared, no matter when it happened or how long the wait would be. In my work at UGA, I teach a class for childcare centers on emergency preparedness. The focus is on creating plans and supply kits and checklists to follow when an emergency happens. Having these plans in place is reassuring to many child care center staff members because they feel ready for the unexpected. Some Christians treat a life of faith as a similar checklist. Read your Bible, check. Go to worship, check. Give money to the church, check. Be baptized, check. Don't gossip, check. Don't steal, check. And once you collect enough checks, you're assured a place in the kingdom of God. Unfortunately, being prepared for God's coming action in the world is not a simple checklist of do's and don'ts. Being prepared, being ready, is a way of life. It's an orientation to the world that looks for Jesus in the eyes of a stranger, that is prepared to respond to a stranger in need. Being prepared is living a life of humble service to others, showing mercy and compassion to those who need it most, being peacemakers in a sometimes angry world, and finding ways to work for justice, especially for those who are marginalized or left out in our society. So how do we, as First Christian Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia, stay ready for an uncertain future? We're surrounded by so many challenges, from war and destruction around the world, to natural and man-made disasters in the United States, to pe people sleeping outside our very church because they don't have anywhere to stay at night. What are we called to do right now? Jesus gave us instructions in the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies. Forgive others care for people who are poor or marginalized. 
Don't worry about your possessions. Be light in a world of darkness. Help others see God through our actions. Such simple activities, and that yet these are some of the most challenging things we are called to do. Yet by following these instructions, we can bring the light of hope into a dark world that desperately needs us. The five bridesmaids who were prepared brought with them the hope that the bridegroom would come, even if delayed. They were ready, not just for the wedding, but for the wait. And we, as God's people, can be ready as well. Even if we don't know all of God's plans for our church and our community right now, we can live as people of God while we wait. And we can share the hope that God's plans will come to fruition in God's time. Amen.